go. Enough said about that. Um, great to look back over this past year, seeing how many people are great at being inviters. We have so much to be grateful for and what God is doing. You have really captured the idea of a culture of people that is inviting. We're seeing new faces and meeting new people. And I, in fact, I met someone today who said, you know, I was invited by this person right here. And, you know, I'm so glad they did. I love being here. And really what people always tell me is that it's you, the people, who they love to come and be a part of. And just feeling the warmth of a group of, commu- group of people who are committed to, to loving like Jesus. So grateful for that. All right, we're in a series. Let's move on. We're in a series called The Art of Relationships. And one of the things we found in this series is that it is not a science. As much as we want relationships to be a science, it is more than anything else, it is an art. And in fact, if you're with us last week, we said that it's really mostly like a dance. That sometimes we're, our, our relationships with lots of people or, or, you know, even our relationship with God in some ways is like, it feels like we're all on the same page. And other times it feels like we're kicking people in the shins and we're stumbling over each other. And we have kind of this, um, this relationship with relationships, which is more like an art than a science, as much as we want to figure it out. But we'll find is that the Apostle Paul, I read this last week too, the Apostle Paul has sort of his guiding ethic for what it looks like to be a community of people who quote-unquote dance well, and here's what he says. The entire law, everything we read in the Hebrew Scriptures, he'll say, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, which he's quoting Jesus, who's quoting the Hebrew Bible, saying... The intent of all of our relationships is group of people gathered together from different backgrounds and different social strata and everything else. The most important thing is that we would love our neighbor. Now what we all think about that is, this is a wonderful and beautiful sentiment. But it's really tough to execute. It's a tough one to pull off all the time. In fact, I was, we were talking, it's almost easier to love people that are in the far extreme of people we probably could never imagine even being around. But the people that are annoying, that we just don't even like, those are the people that are hard to love. You know, there's a difficult, there's a difficult piece to relationships. In fact, Paul will write the very next verse, he'll say it this way. He'll say, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So he leads with love each other, but then he, the exact opposite contrast is if you bite and devour, you'll be destroyed. In other words, there's two ways to go about this in terms of our relationships. We can love each other or we can bite and devour. And we said last week that occasionally every one of us in here does a little biting and devouring of our own. Some of us are pretty good at being biters and devourers. Others of us have either, by our, either because we allow it, we allow ourselves to be bitten and devoured or... We just simply have been taken advantage of people by people who have been biters and devourers. And really, when there's no other alternative, we sort of start resorting to, resorting to things that aren't really beautiful, don't feel like a dance, they feel like biting and devouring. But here's what I want to do. Today I want to take it a step further. Which is to say, why, what, you know, what is behind all of our biting and devouring? What is it that if we were to boil it all down, in all of what we're talking about in this series, you know, really, what's behind all of this? What is it that we really, every single person in this room really does want in all of their relationships? Because we all want something really similar. And that's what I want to dive into today as we consider, continue in this series of the art of relationships. Would you do this? Would you pray with me? And then we'll jump into the second week of the series. Father, it's our prayer, as we talked about last week, that we would have a, the courage to, first to say, Not help us find the right person or to fix the people in our lives that are broken, but Father, help us first and foremost to become the right kind of people. It's a courageous and bold prayer, Jesus, but we pray that you would begin to shape us into being the kind of people that you would help us or hope us to be. We cannot do it on our own. And Father, as we imagine what it might mean to be connected with each other in a deeper way and to be more connected with you, might the first and most important thing we capture be that you're you're the God who loves us, We've sang the words already that you're a good, good father. 
Might we receive that as your children today, Jesus? Father, for just a moment, might that sink in? Might that inform every one of our relationships, your deep and powerful love for us? So for just a few moments as we sit in stillness, would you just speak to us about how we are loved like children of a loving and good father? Jesus, we have big fears about being alone. We have big fears about being left behind or abandoned. So, Father, whether or not we've ever prayed something like this, would you meet us here in a real way that we might experience your love? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are going to be uh, primarily, if you brought your own, if you brought your Bible, we'll be in Exodus 20 and Genesis 4. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there. If you want to follow along on your phone or whatever else, go ahead and do that. Uh, if you want to follow along in the bulletin, on the back side of that is an outline you can follow along there. Or if you're like, hey, look, I just want to stare at the screen because that's all I'm going to do the rest of the day anyways at the Super Bowl. I get it. Some of you are like, go Broncos. Other users are go Panthers. Some of you are just go Doritos. Whatever it is, you might want to be staring at the screen. Um, we have everything you need to be on the screen as well. So um, the, the question is, as we started this whole, this today, just sort of this next week in the series is, what, do, what we all want in relationships is really the same thing. We don't talk about it a lot this way, but we all want in relationships is the same thing. We all want to be wanted. That's like where we all are. If those of you who are um, kind of of my age uh, or older, you might remember um, uh, the, the song by Cheap Trick. I want you. There we go. See, that's right. We're, they, that's it. Some of you are like, oh, man, old people do not sing well. I get it. Now. There is a, and the current version of this song, sung by Jason Derulo, is, gosh, I always mess this up. I, well, after I sing the first one, I can't sing the second one. Can anybody do it? Is anyone bold enough to sing it? You're the, you're, the one that, you're the one that I want to want me. That's it. I got it. There it is. Now, both of those songs are about getting it on. Let's just be really clear. That's really what it is. That's, they're really clear. But the point behind them all is there's something about us that wants the experience of being wanted. I mean, truthfully, we're all fourth graders walking out to the lunch table hoping nobody moves away from us or because we bring the wrong snacks or whatever else it is. We want people to go, I'm so glad you're here. We want the experience of, you know, the, again, people my age and older remember the show Cheers when one guy would walk in and everybody would say his name and they would say, Norm, he'd walk in, and he's always seemed sort of aloof to the fact that everybody was so excited that he was there. But we all want the idea that when we walk into a place, everybody would go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. We wanted you to be here. To say it differently, well, I should say it this way too. We have a fear that we're just merely being, that at best we're being tolerated, like we're some kind of appendage on the rest of society. And what makes it even harder for us is that there are some people at least from an outside perspective, who are so clearly wanted in the world. But there are people that we look at and we go, my gosh, everybody wants them around. And we feel like, man, I want what they have. In other words, another way to say this whole idea is this. We want to have what the wanted have. We have a perception in our life about certain people in the world, whether they're known to us or they're people who are far from us. We have a perception about them that says, I want what they have because all that they have is that they're wanted. And what happens to us as we begin to sort of consider all this stuff is that if we can't, if, this, if our path to being wanted is in some way obstructed, well, that's when the biting and the devouring starts because we get a little desperate. We want to be wanted. 
People will do all kinds of things to have the experience or the feeling of being wanted. People will shortchange their future or even their most deeply held values because they want to be wanted. Now, the destructive tendency that's within that whole wanting and desiring, especially if it's, you know, in some way impeded, the best way to describe that, because we're all, you either are from Southern California, you either live here now or you're visiting here now, which means you all know something now. You've all experienced traffic. And the best illustration of what I'm talking about today really comes out of traffic. Now, let me just ask you really quickly. What are some things that you, what are some things people you know think or say or do in traffic? Because you would never do, you, this is not you. And this is not our community of sort of world changing, you know, in the community, for the community. Kind of, it's like other people you've heard about who may have done. So what are some things people say or think or do in traffic? Go ahead. What are some things? You've heard. Sign language. Sign language. Go Broncos. You're number one. That's a lot of, a lot of that. Okay, good. What else? What's that? Read a book. You tell them to read a book? Yeah. Hey, read a book. Read a book? I've never heard that before. Hey, read a book. That's what you say? All the time. Okay. Good. Never heard that before. Try it. I'm going to try it next time. Someone, I mean, I'm not going to try it. Someone should try it. Okay, what else? Oh, now we got everybody. We're going to need people to raise their hands because we got too many people who are excited now. What? What's that? Texting. So that's what you think or say to people. You think texting. What would you say to someone you saw texting? Okay. Good. All right. Read a book. Yeah, you're right there. What's that? Nice signal. When they don't signal, the sarcasm. Yeah. Nice signal, which they can't hear you and they don't care, but we always do it. Yeah, what else? Move over. Good. What else? Now we got some going. What just, I heard something like a kid, like a little kid said something over there. What's that? Honk the horn. Yes. Could. Yes. What else? Come on. Nine o'clock. Was what, what's that? Green means go. I have places to be and you waited a microsecond too long. Honk, go. Green means go. Sorry. Okay, what else? Smooth move. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. What else? Got. You know, I just want to say we have to have a community of honesty in here, guys. We can't, can't, can't say. Choose a lane is a good one. Anybody do the stare? Just the like, I have no words for you. I'm just going to give you the disapproving mother look at your drive-by. Which I do that, admittedly. And I realize that's the most fruitless of all things. It's like of all the things you could do, like, you know, turn it, like nice signals, like, oh, I'm, obviously that person now knows they should put their signal on. But just look, even in the disapproving look means nothing. They look, you, they, you know, slow down, the slow down, like you're going to pass them, but you give them a look like, who's driving here? And, and really, what am I going to do? Am I going to, are we going to pull over and have a conversation? Am I going to fight them? No, I'm just going to drive up next to them and go, and now I'm driving again. Like, it's, there's nothing done there. There's a million things that we think or do. I, someone on Thursday night goes, I hate all life. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is, that is the entire biosphere. Every single ecosystem joined together on the earth, whatever, all of it should be done. I hate it all. <laughs> now here's what we know in traffic. We think and say and do a lot of things that, you know, we probably wish we didn't. But here's what we know about traffic. What traffic reveals about us and our most important relationships too, it reveals something 
is that we have a goal and that people are the obstacle. We're trying to get somewhere in our life and people are in the way of that thing. I heard someone tell me after last service, they said that their, their 70-year-old mother was going to traffic school. And they said, they said, what would make it easier for you if you could change one thing about driving? And she said, all the people on the road. <laughs> how true that is and how often we think that in our own life. We are trying to get somewhere and there are people that are in our way. People are the problem. And if people are the problem, then it's going to be pretty difficult to love our neighbor as ourselves. If people keep getting in the way, if we see them as the problem. Now, I want to highlight as we kind of move forward, now keep, bear this in mind, people in the way of what we want. I want to talk about this as we talk first about the Ten Commandments. But you're like, wow, that seems like I could have predicted that coming to church. You know, they, they probably talk about the Ten Commandments every week if you're new. We don't. But I do want to give you a sense about the Ten Commandments. Now, before I start that, here's what I have to tell you. When people read the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, right, there is a, there's something that people often miss when they read these things. You have to remember, God's people have been in slavery for 400 years. They do not know how to live as people who are not slaves. So check out the first. This is usually people skip this and are talking about the Ten Commandments. Here's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. A couple things you need to know. One is the phrase these words. Often we understand that the Ten Commandments are understood to be commandments. They're literally in Hebrew, the way I just understood it, is just the utterances or the sayings or the words. Notice the first thing God says as he begins to talk about the Ten Commandments. I'm God who brought you out of captivity. Which means this is the way that God's newly freed people are going to learn and experience and know how to live as free people. If you miss that reality, then the rest of the Ten Commandments loses a lot of their power because it's really about how do we live as free people. We've only known how to live as slaves. Now, the first four commandments are about God and his relationship to his people. He'll talk about idolatry. He'll talk about making images. He'll talk about the idea of having a holy day and putting him first. All of that kind of stuff. They're all about the relationship between God and his people. And the remaining six are about us and each other. In other words, here's some guidelines for the art of relationships. And the first steps are pretty simple. They're pretty clear. Look at these. Here's what they say. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that your God is going to give you. Now, just really quickly, you have to understand in, a, in an honor-shame culture in particular, it's particularly the, the role that parents have is a different one than we have in the West. But you can understand the idea at least is to put parents have a particularly important role in your life. Secondly, you should not murder. One of the big obstacles, it turns out, to good relationships, killing each other. We're going to have to deal with that one. You shall not commit adultery. Definitely creates a little bit of difficult patches for people in marriages. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So you can't, if we're going to live together as God's newly freed people, he'll say, you can't kill each other, you can't lie to each other, you can't take each other's stuff, and you can't lie about what's going on. So this is all what he says. Now the next one though, the next, this is the, this is the 10th commandment. The way to understand the 10th commandment is that it has within it probably the most explosive effect, the most explosive potential for all other relationships. In fact, to get a handle on this one commandment probably is going to protect you from the other five that we just mentioned. So important is this, that a lot of, a lot of scholars will say all of the other violations of the 10 commandments actually start with this one. Check this out. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we don't use the word covet very often. I don't hear anybody in like regular speech talking about coveting. You know, like, uh, just covet that burrito right there. I mean, nobody really uses that language. But let me just, because it, it has kind of a particular usage. But I just want you to get a sense. One translation I even read this week said, um, do not set your heart upon your neighbors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we live in a place where there's a high degree, a likely, uh, a likely experience of coveting. We live in Orange County. This is where everything everybody else has is kind of better than yours. And we want it. We have set our hearts upon certain things. It's people who live, it's the way that they look, it's the way that, that what's, what they do. It's all, it's every, we have such a market for coveting. Let me give you a definition that I read this week I thought was pretty helpful. As it says this, it says, refers to the, coveting refers to the desire and the scheming and actions impelled by it. You know, coveting is a weird thing. It's not an explicit action prohibited in the Ten Commandments. It's actually kind of an orientation or a mindset about other people's stuff. And it can be material, like their ox or their donkey. I know a lot of you guys look at each other's oxen, wanting that from each other. I know. Some people have really nice oxen. But it can be material things, the stuff that they have. But I think probably more than anything else, particularly as we talk about relationships, it's the immaterial things that we want, that we covet in other people. We want the attention. We want the freedom of movement that they have. We want even their own sense of beauty physical feature. We want all of those. We want those kinds of things. And yet there is something to be said about how destructive this is to all of our relationships. To violate the first command, to violate the tenth commandment is, in other words, to step in the way of every other one of our relationships. Because when we start seeing people as in the way of the thing that we want, we start acting and biting and devouring each other. To illustrate this probably the best, there's a story in the Bible. You may have heard of it before. It's um, in Genesis chapter 4, and it goes like this. Verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, <clears throat> excuse me, Cain brought some of, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now this is the first recorded moment in the Bible of worship. Doesn't mean that they weren't worshiping before. This is the first recorded moment of, of worship where people give something out of the sacrifice of what they have to give it to God. Now notice, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Older translations will say the firstlings of his flock. Which means these are the best, most choicest things. The farmer brings some things that are good. And the rancher brings the best of what he has. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. There is now something that Abel possesses that is noticeably absent from what Cain has. Keep on reading. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. In other words, what's being said here is Abel possesses something. That Cain really wants. And now Abel, it appears, might be in the way of that thing. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now notice the next thing that God says as he speaks specifically to Cain. Notice what gets revealed here. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now notice why that's important. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you do what's right, will your offering not be accepted? This is about a person being wanted. You're worried, Cain, that you're not going to be wanted. You're worried about the idea of being unwanted. And you think about your brother. He already has everything that could be had, and he's in the way of what I want. You, will you not be accepted? Isn't this not our fear about everything in relationships? That we might be not enough? But if you do not uh, do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it, God says. Then he says this, in the plainest language in the entire Bible, the most plain prose, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. There's a belief by Cain about Abel, which is this. There is only a certain amount of love and attention to be had. And I can't get it because you're in the way. Because you got it and I didn't. And the best way I can think to resolve the fact there's only a limited amount of God's good to go for me is to get rid of you so that I can have it. Because where else would God put it? He'd have to put it on me if you're gone. See, there's something that happens in coveting, which is the essence of really all of what coveting is. The best way to kind of summarize it, the essence of all coveting, and this is where we all, this is, again, this is very much us, is comparison. Comparison is an, it's, it's a process by which we say about ourselves, we have, a, we have an assessment about whatever it is that we have or want. We then see whatever that is that we have or want, and we see it in contrast to someone else who has or wants probably more than us. And we then have a response that says, what I have isn't enough. And we start thinking, man, I wish I had what they had. I, we start thinking there's a little piece of us that says, they have more and I should take it. The Bible will say it this way. It will say throughout the entire Bible you get this, really this depiction in which God's people constantly are living in a particular state of mind. And it sets up the idea of all this, this notion of comparison and even co coveting the material and the immaterial things. Here's what most of God's people live like this. They live under this banner or this mindset of scarcity which says there's never going to be enough. No matter what happens, no matter what everything, there's never going to be enough. And so I'm afraid. And when people are afraid and when there's a scarcity of resources, people do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Because there's not enough. That's what biting and devouring starts. It's a belief that there isn't going to ever be enough. So I have to hoard it or I have to take it. I have to compromise my deeply held beliefs so that I can get it. The Bible will say over and over and over again to God's people. God will say to his people. Don't forget about something. I'm the God who gives. I'm the God who rescues. In fact, you could say scarcity is in contrast with something called abundance. That not just that there's enough, but that there's more than enough. And God will speak to his people over and over again saying, if you want to live in the freedom of relationships that you were intended to have, the fullness of life and meaning and purpose and hope and all that stuff, what he'll say is, you're going to have to believe that there's more than enough for you. There's more than enough to go around. Because if you believe there isn't enough, you will live out of scarcity and you will bite and devour. Here's, well, I'll say it this way. You've probably been to a wedding at some point in your life and more than likely someone's cousin 
read a particular verse in the Bible. It's all, like they have someone always come up on stage and they read a part of the Bible. It's generally this verse right here, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. It starts like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Now, you've pro if you've been to a wedding in the past 30 years, you probably have seen this at least once. Now, I want you to catch this. This is the way in which the Apostle Paul will describe. Remember, the intention is to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love the community as though, as, as though they were us. I mean, to love other people. And he'll say, describing it further, he'll say, here's what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then he'll say this. Notice the comparison language here. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Comparison up is envy. Comparison up is envy. Meaning I'm comparing up to someone else. I'm down here and they're up there. And the quickest way to begin to imagine myself actually having what they have is I start thinking, I start thinking, man, they're kind of, they're kind of in the way of that thing I want. I um, joined a gym not too long ago and there's a guy who joined right about the same time as me. And he's about the same height as me. And he's about the same build. We're both pretty skinny, you know, like both looking at each other like, can we do this, you know? And then, and um, he, he is, he's there more than I am. And he's like, he's like 20 years younger than me, which I hate saying 20 years younger than me, which is why Peyton Manning has to win today. That's all I'm just saying right now. Yes. I don't, you know, I, I don't really have, I don't have that much invested in the Broncos, but I have, I have an old guy investment in Peyton Manning. Because we can still win stuff. Okay, now, I'm watching this guy and he is like, now he's, he comes, he, the other day he comes to me, he goes, oh, that's literally, it was, it was this, it was like, is that all you're going to do? And he wasn't trying to be mean about it. It was like, I think he was asking, like, am I warming up? And it was like, this is all I got. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, totally nice about it. And I immediately said in my heart, I hate that guy. <laughs> there was no hesitation. There was no, like, I probably, I'm a pastor and I just love everybody. I just was like, I hate that guy. He is like, waste. I mean, it's like, the, our, like, fitness track it was like, mine was like a slow little, I'm kind of, oh, slow and steady wins the race. And he's like, <laughs> slow and steady, forget that. He is just, I mean, now he's like every day he wears like a tank top. And it's like, oh, bro, we, I can't even speak to you now. And I tell him that now too. I'm like, I can't even talk to you. What are you doing? You know, I, I can't stand you anymore. And he's like, why? I go, because you're so much stronger than me. I hate him. I don't really hate him, but I really do. <laughs> That's comparison up. To say there's people, now in every situation we start talking about other people's stuff, it's not hard for us to imagine how we don't like them because what we believe, envy, comes out of this idea of scarcity saying there isn't enough and that person has it. And they're in the way of what I really want. In fact, I despise them because they have the thing that I want. And it could be anything. It could be that you despise their own, if you literally could despise that the fact that they have a relationship, that you on the outward look at their marriage and go, that's so great. I hate them. <laughs> it could be that their kids are doing something really great and you go, gosh, I love that their kids are doing that great. Why aren't my kids doing that great? It could be that they have a job. It could be that they have relationships or friendships or whatever else. And we go, I want that. Why can't I have that? I Don't I? It, I mean, they're, I got to get rid of these people in my life because they have, they're taking away from what I want. That's comparison up. And then there's comparison down. Comparison down looks like boasting and pride. There's that little kernel of us that we kind of enjoy when people are comparing up to us. We kind of love that. How did you do that? That's so great. How come you can do it? I don't know. 
don't know, I'm just kind of a genius. It's not, I don't want to brag about it, but I, uh, I am kind of, you know, it kind of comes out a little bit. And there's an even more insidious thing, which is that when we see those people whom we have once envied and idolized in some capacity or another, when we see them or their kids or their things or whatever else it might be suffer a little bit, we kind of go, oh. I mean, it's hard to be down here with the rest of us, isn't it? We kind of... We like that all of a sudden the, t- the scales have tipped and we're on top and now we can look down and go, isn't it great to be just a little bit better than you? I know you don't do that. I just heard of people that do that. But don't we all feel a little bit like it's kind of good to be on the other? We want people to want to be us. We want people to want what we have. So comparison has two ways to go. I just would tell you, what we'll say is a lot of people will say this, especially around here, they'll say, I'm not envying other people. I don't envy. I just admire. The journey from admiration to envy is a pretty short one. (laughs) You know, man, look at that. They got a new car. That's a great car. I'm glad for them. That's really cool. I always wanted that car. Why do they get that car? I hate that guy. I mean, it's like, it's the... It's not, it happens about that fast. Maybe it's a little bit more subtle. Maybe it's a little more art to it. But that's basically it. Oh, wow, you're in really good shape. That's so great. Wow, you really, it's, that's great for you. That's really good. Proud and that's really neat. Why do they get to be in shape? I hate that person. Oh, look, your kid won another award. That's so cool. That's so great. Another award. That's so great. Thank you for putting that on everywhere in social media. I appreciate that. That's so great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate your kids. I mean, it's just, you just... <laughs> You don't say it, I'll say it for you, but there's a little piece of us that says these things because the journey from admiration to envy is a pretty short one and we get there pretty quick. I do. I get there pretty quickly. There's lots of things about which I wish I didn't envy in other things, other people, but I do. And I'd say this too. We start talking about boasting and pride. Arrogance does leak. We We don't want it to. We want it, we... We want it to be out there, but we, want, we don't want to look like we were trying too hard to get it there. Uh, let me just, exp- I think probably the, the best way to describe this is probably on anything social media. <laughs> Facebook, but Instagram more so. I think there's a, there's a sense about us that says, how do I celebrate everything? How do I live out the highlight reel of my life for everybody to see and talk about it in such a way that that's not what I'm attempting to do? Not only that... High school students, you can back me up on this too. When people post things on Instagram, how, how, how long does it take to someone to actually compose the words that go underneath a, to caption a, a picture? Like, does this sound okay? Do I, does this sound okay? Is this right? Should I say that again? How, it will take hours for someone to write a sentence about the one thing they're trying to do that makes them sound awesome, but not arrogant. How do I, that's the, that's the art of Instagram, right? It's like, how do I say it exactly in such a way that I don't, like, do you show it, do you take it out of your phone and you type and you go, does that look okay? Can I say that? Don't say that. Okay, do it again. I mean, it's a perfectly manicured highlight reel of our lives. Now, someone asked me on Thursday night, they said, you know, well, what, what should we, you know, what should, should we not post good things about our lives on, online? I'm like, no, 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 you celebrate. It's important to talk. I mean, it's great. Talk about what's going on in your life. You know, like, I, I'm like, you can't just, you know, you can't just post things that are neither here nor there. Like, here I am sitting in a room. Like, you, if you had only neutral things, you know, like, I had an adequate lunch today. <laughs> These are things that you go, I don't, that, like, those are, things, are those acceptable? People are wanting to know what kinds of things. Here's what I want you to understand. If you have an attachment 
to the way people respond to what you talk about, about your family or your life or whatever else it is, and that that matters to you, then you are leaking arrogance. <laughs> Here's what I mean. If, if only one person likes whatever you posted, that you shared with the universe, and it's your grandma, are you going to be okay with that? Or are you going to go, gosh, something's wrong with me? I don't know. I should have shared more. I shared it better. I should have done something else. I'm going to immediately put, I'm going to delete it. I'm going to post something else. I mean, like, there's a total panic that goes through. If you're married to that idea, then maybe there's a problem. You can post whatever you want, but you can't love that more than anything else. That would be the marker. Because we want people to want us. We want people to want what we have. And oftentimes our own arrogance leaks to sort of consider what that might look like. Now, here's what I would talk about. I just want you to consider. The Bible is a conversation with people speaking to them about God's abundance. And it is always in contrast to the scarcity of, the li of their lives that they experience or feel. You live in fields, the Bible will say. A life of scarcity. And the Bible will say there is so much abundance. We just choose not to live in it. Paul's writing to the early church. He'll write these words to the church in Ephesus. And this is a group of people who, again, to reemphasize, this is a group of people who do not belong together in society. These are, in first century society, these are Romans and Greeks and Jews. There's slaves and slave owners. There's men and there's women. And this community of people is one bound together in love. And there's just all of this, this community of people that should never be together. And he's explained to all these people who are not unlike us, who are always afraid that there's not going to be enough. He says this prayer to them in Ephesians, the, his letter to the Ephesians in the third chapter. It's one of the longest sentences in the Bible. And he utters this prayer to them, speaking of God's abundance, so that their relationships might flourish. Here's what he says. I pray out of his glorious riches, speaking of Jesus, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted established in love. And let me stop right here just for a second. Notice what he's talking about. The glorious riches. That doesn't sound like there's not a lot. doesn't sound like there's not a lot. There's not, maybe not enough. He's, his, the prayer he's giving to the people who are gathered together in the Ephesian church is, I pray that out of this overflow of abundance, you might have something here. Here's what he says. You may, oh, sorry, read the sentence here. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Sometimes you see this word translated as saints or the church or the brothers and sisters of the church. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled, notice the words filled, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's being said here is... Might you experience an overflow of abundance? Because if you have an understanding only of scarcity, every other relationship in your life will suffer. Because those people, every other relationship in your life, those people are in the way of the thing which you want, which is to be wanted. Paul says in his prayer, I pray that your lives would overflow with this love of Jesus which is in you. Which means you never have the fourth grade lunch scenario showing up where people walk away from you. God sees you and shouts out Norm, although maybe that's not your name. But he shouts to your name saying, I'm so glad that you're here. There is so much love to go around. I want you to experience and know it that it might penetrate deeply into your own heart so that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness. This is a, a, verb, trans, a, verb, uh, 
a verb, a verb um, tense we don't have in English. This idea of filled to the fullness. It literally says, be being kept filled. It's the best way to translate it. That there's an ongoing replenishment of something that is overflowing in your life. It, it, it also implies that there's a part of us that times that we could become empty. And his prayer is, might you always be full of it. In other words, you will always have abundance. You never have to say, people are in the way of the thing I really want because you are already wanted and there is enough to go around. Now, the most appropriate response to the reality of abundance and the greatest protection against the destructive power of envy is one thing, and it's one of the most difficult lessons to learn, and it's one of the most important things we could gather in our lives. If we could teach it to our kids, we would change society. If we could, if we could live it out, we would live differently in our lives. It's this one thing. Gratitude. Gratitude. It is impossible to be thankful for your marriage, to be grateful for your spouse, and envy someone else's marriage. Gratitude and envy are incompatible. You cannot say, I'm so in love with you, spouse. I'm so grateful for you. I love you so much. It's so good that we're, t I love, I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, for that. And I wish I had something else. Those two things do not work together. You cannot say about your own career, I'm so grateful that I have a job. I'm grateful that I get to make money and I get to be a part of contributing to society in some capacity. And also say, I'm really angry that other people have a job I always wanted. It's impossible to say about the things that you own. I'm so grateful for the stuff I have. I'm grateful that, I have, that I've, been, I've got these things that have been provided for me for no reason whatsoever, except that just God maybe just loves me. I'm so grateful for those things. And also say, those people are in the way of the things I really want. It's impossible to say about your relationship with your own children or about a relationship with, other, with your own friends or other friends. It's impossible to be grateful and envious at the same time. They do not coexist. I have seen people, guys have this, I can speak to this for, my own, for myself. When, God, when, when, um, when people have kids, it's amazing how guys, at the same, they, they don't, it's, it's the weirdest thing. They begin to envy their own children for the attention that they get. They see in some ways that there is a, and it's so bizarre, you don't, it's like, it sneaks in, it's this most bizarre thing. But there's a, I'm grateful for my kids. Then you realize, wow, they're taking a lot of attention I used to get. And there's an envy, they're actually in the way. Which is why it's so important to, to take care of your marriage. But also there's this part here which we go, it's impossible to be grateful for our kids and be envious of their attention at the same time. The way to deal with the destructive power of envy or, as we said, coveting in our lives? Gratitude. Gratitude. And what we're going to do in a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's a version of the Lord's Prayer. You might know it as the Our Father if you grew up in a Catholic tradition. It's a version of that song. And it's really, as you listen to the words, what you're going to see is there's going to be, you're going to see words that sound like God's abundance is flowing out and we get to live an attitude of thankfulness or of gratitude towards what God is doing. The chorus of the song sings the words over and over and over again. Your love is strong. Remember that the prayer that Paul is saying here is that we would live out of abundance so that we might have gratitude. 
Paul is suggesting and praying with, with great power that we would live out of God's abundance. And the only way we keep all the rest of our relationships from being biting and devouring and cannibalistic in nature is when we are able to say and receive, say how much we are loved by God, to see that, and to say out loud how strong his love is for us. So let's pray together and then we'll sing together and respond. Jesus, we are so grateful that you love us, that you have found us, that you meet us here. We're longing for the experience of fullness of life and of love. Jesus, we feel empty at times and we have played the tapes over and over again in our own head which say that we are not enough. Somehow or another we hold on to those with greater energy than we hold on to the things and the truths by which you speak about how you, the fullness of your love for us. Father, as we sing, as we hear the, even the song sung over us in some way, Jesus, might we come to grips with reality, which is that you are crazy about us. And that your love is so incredibly strong. Father, I'm sure there are people in the room who have the experience of feeling as though they are not enough, who are continually con trapped in envy and in comparison. Might you free us from that, Jesus. Might there be people who come forward to receive prayer. Might we live in a new freedom because of your love that is so very strong, Jesus. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, and it's your name that we sing. Amen. Amen. So as Jeff said, we're going to sing a song that, that speaks of the strength of God's love. And I want to give you permission or freedom to stay seated. If you need to continue to chew on or process all that was just stirred up in your heart during that message, please feel free to stay seated. If you need prayer, if you would love for someone to pray for you or with you or pray over you, our prayer team will be on either side of the room down here at the front. Um, he mentioned this chorus, and I would love for it to be familiar when it actually arrives in the song. So I'm going to start just singing this chorus over you. And then as you feel led, please stand and join me. Forgive me as I forgive the people who wrong me. Lead me far from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. I look out the
together let's declare the truth of his incredible love for us your love is 